Welcome back to Dedicated to Growth. Today I have a very special guest with me and we're going to be talking about what type of person does it really take to go all in on yourself. Today I am with Sumner Healy who has a very amazing business called The Land Pioneer as well as a couple other businesses and he's going to tell us all about those but today we're going to dive into what it truly means to be self-made what creating independence in your life financially, emotionally, and just independence in general can look like, and in what ways you can achieve success and growth through fitness and just becoming self-made. So without further ado, welcome. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Very excited to have you. So I do have a couple questions lined up for you. So we'll we'll start off easy because you are an absolutely amazing example of what it takes to go all in on yourself. And I think a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people look up to those who start businesses and entrepreneurs because it is such a different path from most, from what most people believe is possible for themselves. So let's start off easy. Tell us what you were like growing up. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Were you always independent? Were you a risk taker, rule follower? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Um, it's actually something I've never really thought about. Well, first off, to paint the picture, I, I grew up in Big Sur, California, so a small town in the Central Coast, super rural setting. I'd say ultimately I was very shy and, and introverted as a kid. Um, I would Reflective is probably how I would describe myself. I wouldn't say I was a rule follower or a risk taker necessarily. I mean, maybe more of a risk taker than the average, but I think the risks that I was taking were always very calculated. And I think I was introverted by design from being reflective. I just would spend a lot of time thinking. And uh, for most of my, my childhood, I was very, very introverted. And I think that's kind of started to shed off as I, as I grew up and matured. Um, but yeah, I was not the wild child. I was not the kid causing problems. You know, I definitely had some run-ins with the law and some, you know, some little hiccups like most people growing up, but nothing too extreme. So I think I was erring on the side of not so much a rule follower, but I was pretty conservative in the risks that I was taking. Do you think that you were more conservative because you wanted to fit in or you wanted to be mm. like, do you think that was something? Cause I, I definitely struggled with that in like middle school and high yeah. school. Yeah. I never, as weird as it sounds, I never had the, um, this like intrinsic motivation to want to be liked necessarily. I mean, I think we all have it to some degree as a human, but I don't think I was making decisions necessarily off of that framework. I think really like my parents were young when they had me. My mom was 19. My dad was 26. When my mom was pregnant, my dad decided, Hey, it's a great time to go sail across the world. That ended their relationship pretty much right then and there. And so I grew up with a single mom for a, a, a good chunk of my childhood and my mom was always very laissez-faire. She put a lot of trust in me. Um, and same with my dad as well. And so I think for me, the, the calculated kind of risk-taking stuff came from the fact that like there was not much of a safety net. There was not much repercussions for making mistakes. And so I think I just really quickly realized that like it was up to my own discretion, uh, for better or for worse. And most times it was for better. Um, definitely got me in trouble a few times. But yeah, I don't think it was it was necessarily trying to, to win approval of, of friends or peers. I think it was more so just the fact that my parents just kind of put the world in my hands and said, go figure it out. And it was also like the setting where I was raised was so different than most kids. I mean, rural A, yes, but also um, wild. Like I grew up in an environment where 
you know, to get our mail was an hour walk, right? And we would just ride quads around and I could go off in the woods and do whatever I want for eight hours. My parents would have no concern of where I was. It's just a super different environment than what most kids grow up in. And so I think they also knew that there wasn't a ton of room for negative influences to rub off on me, right? Like I wasn't going to go smoke pot with the tree that I was, the tree couldn't be a bad influence, right? And so I didn't really have a lot of inputs that could have like swayed me to do crazy things just based on where I grew up. Um, and so, that, I mean, there's a whole kind of cascade of effects that came down just from the random chance of, of where I was born. But I think that definitely played a lot into it. Interesting. And do you think kind of that, like, chaoticness of where you grew up and how you grew up played into you being more just, like, kind of wanting to follow the rules and, like, do good? And like you said, you're a little quieter. It sounds like you tried in school. Am I... Uh, no, I never saw, I, I was always, I was quiet, but I was always hyper opinionated. I wanted to argue everyone on everything. My mom used to, it used to drive her nuts because I would want to just contest every point with her and things that were irrelevant, but you know, asking her questions about politics or about climate change. And she's like, Sumner, I don't have the answers. So, um, I can imagine like a six-year-old Sumner being like, yeah. mom, why, why are people fighting over climate change? Is it yeah. warmer now? <laughs> a funny story that's not really related, but when I was seven, I, I, I got really into poetry. And so I was writing poems and I asked my mom if I could do, go to a poetry slam. And so there's a poetry slam in my hometown at this cafe. And um, I went there and read a poem about the world the war in Iraq. That you wrote at <laughs> yeah, seven years yeah. old. <laughs> so I was just a weird dude, but like it never, it never was necessarily super concerning that I was weird to myself. Uh, I just was inquisitive. But I think I also just again by design of where I lived, like I had so much alone time, right? And so I think going out there, like I didn't go to kindergarten, uh, or sorry, I didn't go to preschool. Rather, I did go to kindergarten, um, but I was like maybe even kind of stunted in my growth in that department just because I didn't have a lot of peers that I grew up with. Just because yeah. it's like just again the setting. And so um, I didn't really know how to integrate. And so I just spent a lot of time just kind of thinking with myself, hanging out with myself, for better or for worse. Uh, what was the original question again? Oh, the original question was just more of like what you were like growing up. Because you're now like this hyper-independent, hyper-focused, disciplined like yeah. person. But I think... I don't know. I think for me, it was so different. I, I wanted to be liked more than anything yeah. when I was in that age range. And I think it's funny because I, I didn't go to preschool either and then I was homeschooled until like fourth grade mm -hmm. I think and all I wanted was to like be liked and be social yeah so it was kind of that opposite where I was like overcompensating yeah. for it instead of the other way yeah I don't think I yeah I never really developed that muscle necessarily and it's so hard to pinpoint what the cause was like you know no parents perfect right and so I definitely had my fair share of, of ups and downs with my parents but one thing that my mom did really well was like so much positive reinforcement, like an overwhelming amount of positive reinforcement on just the good that was within me. And so I think that like, since I had my cup so filled by my mom, I didn't really go seek it socially. Um, I also think I just was like, I don't know, I just didn't really get super stimulated in that sense. Now, of course, like once I started going through puberty and started to like become a teenager, then you start getting like this ego and then you start wanting to get validated. And it definitely changed in high school. But like for a lot of my early life I was not the case the only time there was like, I had this weird 
urge to be validated, not by my, my friends necessarily, but by my teachers. And so a, a very odd story, but when I was in kindergarten, I couldn't draw circles. I had a really hard time drawing circles. And we had all these projects where we had like draw circles and like cut them out of the paper, <laughs> just like weird, like tactile tests, I guess. I don't know what they were even testing for. Uh, and I just continued to fail, 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 fail. And so much so that they had multiple meetings with my parents. And so I got like kind of nervous around school and I just felt like I wasn't doing a great job. And then when I was, so I was in Big Sur at that time, that summer, my kindergarten summer going into first grade, I was wrestling with my cousins and my dad was out of town and my cousins doggy piled on top of me and broke my arm. But my dad wasn't there and like no one in my family really thought I broke it. So I went two weeks with a broken arm during summer and they're like, no, your arm's fine. I just <laughs> oh, kept on crying to my dad. I'm like, dad, my arm is so messed up. Anyways, end up finding out, yes, my arm was broken. We went to the doctor, but my, my left arm never like regrew correctly, like the way the bone fused together. And I was left-handed originally. So going into my kinder, my first grade year, I went from being left-handed to right-handed. And I already had like this weird self-conscious thing about not being good at school and drawing circles. <laughs> and so I show up and I can't write, I can't draw, I can't do anything with my right hand. And so they put me in special needs classes. And so that's when I got like this real big chip on my shoulder about not feeling smart, not feeling good enough. And so at that point it was kind of there, but I wanted validation from my teachers, less so from my peers. That's interesting. That is actually really interesting. And I mean, I feel like you're just knowing you now, like, do you feel like you still look for validation from anyone? Because I don't feel like you do, but. Yeah, I mean, we're all human. I think I'd be lying if I said if I didn't. I mean, maybe it's. I feel like in, in, in comparison to most people. Yeah. You you seem to be very on your own track in your own lane in a lot yeah. of areas in life. Like I think everyone looks val- for validation. I think naturally we search for it mm-hmm. from peers, family, whatever it might be. Or maybe it just feels good when you get it. But I don't think like you you stay in your own lane so much. Yeah. I feel like you probably don't get as much. Yeah, validation. yeah. I think that. Um, I mean, I think again, like we're all human. We we all are craving validation. It's just trying to figure out what sources are you craving validation from, and like. I think craving validation from from your peers or colleagues or friends or whatever or opposite sex like that's cheap ass validation. That validation is short lived. You get a quick hit, then you need more of it. And so I think I search for validation in other areas. Maybe it's like more results orientated. It's more objective validation. Like I had a goal, I checked off that goal. I'm validated because I achieved something. But again, you're still playing on the same game. You're still running on this validation treadmill that doesn't really get you anywhere. But I think, yeah, I certainly look for validation. I just think it's probably in different avenues than what's typical. Um, The the irony is, though, is that, like, the less you search for validation, oddly enough, the more validation you start getting socially. Mm -hmm. And that's a weird downstream effect that I've started to pick up on. Like, damn, why do people give me validation? Oh, it's because I'm not seeking validation. And so it's not like I'm deprived of any validation. But I would say, yeah, that's not not a main driving factor for me. I don't think it's ever really been. But again, I still seek seek it. So I think it's just in different yeah. areas. Yeah, and it it's kind of that you've heard like don't chase attract. Like that's mm-hmm. that's kind of what it is. Like if you stop chasing things in life, generally they'll you'll start to attract yeah. them. Yeah. Eventually, it might yeah. not happen right away. And I don't think it was ever necessarily a conscious decision to to do that. I think I was just like was putting my focus in other areas, and then let's say you are more pragmatic, and you're saying I'm going to get validation from achieving something, then you achieve something, and 
socially people are like, oh shit, you achieved that thing. Let me, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to give yeah. you, you know, kudos. And so then, yeah. It, it so the more you stay in your, I mean, I guess that's super true. The more you stay in your own lane, the more generally success for, for yourself for you have. So then other people will start to validate yeah. you regardless. Yeah. Interesting. And ideally at that point, if you're seeking validation from, from the right sources, like, then you start getting the social approval and you're, you're already good. Like your cup yeah. is already full. I just think there's so many people out there and I mean, I can totally relate, not, I mean, the past couple of years, but of just seeking so much validation, you start, I think so many people seek validation. They start to really lose themselves in a lot of ways or lose what's really, what really matters. And I think that's why I, I've, I know for a lot of people starting entrepreneurship or quitting that like safe path that we've talked so much about can be really scary. Yep. I think that was one of the biggest things for me, like even dropping out of college. The reason I was scared to drop out of college wasn't necessarily because I thought I wouldn't be successful with entrepreneurship. It was because I was scared that I wouldn't get the like validation I got from like going to a good school or getting good grades or having a good GPA. Yep. It's yeah, well, I mean, it's an epidemic hard. that we have going on now. It, it 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 starts so young for us, right? It's like for most folks here in Western culture, you've got a, a simple track laid out for you. It's you know, go to a four year school. Hopefully, it's a good one. Then go get a good job. Then you know, meet the man or woman of your dreams. Then settle down, buy a, a house, house, get married, white picket fence. <laughs> and if you're not on that track, well, you're falling outside of the standard. And then to add more misery to that than we live in this day and age where it's like you can go get a quick hit of validation at a moment's notice by posting some you know contrived story or <laughs> narrative that you want to post on social media and so you have these folks that don't really know who they are they're living by someone else's standards and they're constantly getting this little hit on social media or what, you know, whatever the platform may be and so it's like they don't know how to make decisions for themselves they don't even know who they really are and the second that validation dries up, it's like, it's, it's problematic, right? Yeah. And then you get people that are 40, 50 years old that say, oh my God, I've never even been living my life. Like, I don't even know A, who I am, what I want, what I like to do, what fulfills me. And my life is, you know, 60% of the way over. Yeah. That's a scary feeling. And that, I, think it's, I think it's progressively getting worse. I mean, think about it. Kids nowadays at eight years old have phones in their hands and they're getting inundated <laughs> with the same stuff that... We didn't get hit with until, until we were 18 or 19. 18, right, yeah. yeah. And even then, I think it was too early. And, and maybe... Social media wasn't even that big at that time. No, it was, a, it was a photo sharing app. Now it's your resume. It's your life resume, right? And so people make a quick snap judgment based off of what they see online. And it's like a lot of people are trying to create this narrative and trying to control it perfectly. And if they, this is why like you see someone post something on social media, they keep on pulling up their phone. Who's watched it? Who's liked it? What's going on? Who's commented? Who shared it? And it, I think it's getting progressively worse. And that's, again, like, this is just, like, straight genetic lottery randomness. But, again, to trace it back to where I was born plays such a big role because I had so much time just to be with me. Yeah. Right? And I think a lot of people don't – have never spent the time to really get to know who they are, what makes them tick, what makes them happy. Um, And they've been playing by someone else's rules. Yeah. I I completely agree. I mean, especially with social media. Like, I think a lot of people who – start with social media or like create a business on there and I mean I'm speaking from experience get so wrapped up in it um I think the longer you do it the more you start to see how it doesn't really matter as much I think the reason it matters to me is because of my business and because of the people I can connect with but like the first couple years I did social media oh my god I was so obsessed with that like analyzing everything so curated over time I think you just become a little 
I mean, hopefully most people become a little more detached. It's a slippery slope, though, because it's like the my, my peers that have businesses on social media, and as I have started to kind of branch out and, and utilize social media more, it's a double-edged sword, and it's you almost sell your soul to the devil to a certain extent because it's like here is a phenomenal platform or platforms, right? There's so many different ones you can utilize. There is no stock cost, cost to get started. You could potentially get seen by millions, tens of millions of people at no cost. Like if I wanted to get the same... You know, let's say you, you have a post that goes viral and a million people watched on Instagram, right? To pay for that same amount of eyeballs could cost you 30 grand, 20 grand mm-hmm. through paid ads. But the catch 22 is, is like, now you're in that game. Now you're in the matrix, essentially. And my friends that have businesses on social media, no matter how disciplined they are, how much they try to separate, they can't. It's still, they, they still have that need to check, to see, to monitor, to, to know, am I doing oh. good? Yeah. And it's a really slippery slope because it's like here's a phenomenal channel to spread your you know message, generate leads for no cost, but there is a catch. There's a cost benefit to everything, and you certainly see it with social media. Oh, for sure, absolutely. And I mean, one of the biggest challenges I think with social media in general is that it is so easy to get wrapped up in that. So easy. And it's a lot harder, I think, to create. It's a lot harder to create a healthy relationship with social media unless you're creating a healthy relationship with yourself first. Mm -hmm. And that's something I've really realized the last couple of years is social media really is just a tool. Mm -hmm. And I think when I first started, I was so emotionally invested in it because I was like, it's my journal. It's my Mm -hmm. diary. It's so much of me. But over time, I think I really just started to detach from that. And I'm like, if I'm helping people, if I'm messaging someone that I'm impacting, if I'm getting clients to work with, that's really my goal with social media. But I mean, I've been there for, I did it for, this is probably my eighth year doing what I do on social media. So it's like, it's super hard for me to be off of it. Yeah. But it's mainly because it's like, I want to know that I'm getting that you're right that like traction that yeah. impact that i'm doing better yeah. but it's the same thing with business right you get attached to that outcome it is but you... there's a, there's a latency right like yeah. for example in our land business if we go and and do a, a marketing campaign whether it's through direct mail or it's through cold texting or whatever that the channel might be there's a latency right it's we send the marketing then we wait two three four weeks before we actually aggregate the results yeah a post gets put up and you'll immediate know immediate dopamine right and you'll know immediately if it's doing well it's the same thing like in our coaching business we started utilizing youtube and even youtube so different than like a tiktok or tiktok instagram or facebook because like a youtube video has the least amount of views the first time you put it up an instagram video a tiktok video has the most amount of views right when you put it up right and so it's like that first day people are constantly checking how's it doing how's it doing when i put up a youtube video it's like wow, it's going to take four weeks to rank. Probably won't start getting views for another month after that. You know, it's like this evergreen, long-form, slow kind of a snowball that builds and turns into an avalanche where, like, the TikTok Instagrams of the world, it's so here and now, and, it, it, like, things can take off in a matter of hours, and so it's so easy to just get all of your attention sucked into it. But it's an, it's an amazing way to get leads, too. At the same yeah. Time. So it's a really slippery slope, but it, it takes an extreme level of discipline to know how to separate the two. And I think, ultimately, like... My wisest friends in the industry, that or any industry that use social media, at a certain point, I think they wisen up and they realize this can be delegated. I can make the content, someone can post it, and I, they can be 
a boundary between me like on the social media. Like, I don't actually have to go and be the one posting and checking yeah. because these designs, these designs, these apps have engineers getting paid exorbitant amounts of money to design the app to be as addictive as possible, <laughs> as addictive as possible. The everything from where the buttons are laid out, how the icons pop up, the sounds, everything that has been put in that app is engineered to, to keep your attention on there. Yeah. And so it's like, even if you are so clear on who you are, just by posting a picture on there, you could lose five minutes of your life scrolling or looking at likes or playing this comparison game. And so it's such a dangerous thing. And I think the folks that are doing it best have learned that it can be delegated. Yeah, yeah, like Alec Ramosi. Mm-hmm. You make you the content, post, like, and someone else posts How it. many videos a day? Like, it doesn't even post like 10 reels a day, something, something crazy. Something ridiculous, like, yeah. yeah. something absolutely ridiculous. And it's a good example of like, I think a lot of people's counter argument to that would be like, but the, it's not gonna be the same, people will know. Dude, that guy has gone from zero to a million followers in like six or seven months. Well, you're the one making the content. Yeah, Someone else content. is just getting it out for you, exactly. for sure. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And social media is a very slippery slope. Um, but especially when you do it for – it's really hard when you do it for marketing for your business because it is – you are a little bit more emotionally tied into it. You are. Too. And you can check at a moment's notice whenever, yeah. 1 a.m. on a Saturday, you can go check – how am I doing? And you're always working. And you're always working. And you're always working. Right. And the thing is, it also lives in your pocket, right? That's a, that's another weird dichotomy. Like most of what we do in my business, like you need a computer to engage with it. Yeah. To have all of that at your fingertips on your phone is scary. Oh, yeah. So much of my business I can see directly from my yeah. phone, whether it's client messages or check-ins coming in or media or whatever it is. I can see everything. Yeah. And I it just, is definitely dangerous. Humans like... If you look at the evolution of humans, we, we are not, like we have not caught up to where we are in the world. Our brains are not meant to handle so many inputs in a day. And to, to so see so many things, so much stimulation, and to make so many decisions in a day, it's not normal for us, right? And so it's like these people that are just plagued by anxiety or depression or like they just feel out of control. It's like, well, no wonder, you know, you check your phone 50 times during the day. Yeah. And you're making all these comparisons. And I think it, it, this is something that runs really strong with entrepreneurs uh, in this day and age. It's like most of them on paper are doing amazing. But it's like, dude, how are you as a, how, how are you as a person? How are you feeling on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. And if you're plagued by these ill feelings, it's something needs to change, right? Yeah. And that, I mean, that's probably one of the most challenging parts about entrepreneurship is when, because most entrepreneurs, your business is your baby. It's something you created out of nothing. It's something you're so proud of, but it does start to become part of your identity on some level. So like figuring out that separation, I think is really difficult. Like I am a person outside of my business. And I think for a long time I was like, no, I can work seven days a week. I don't need time off because it's something I'm so passionate about, which is, it's true. Like when you love your work, it doesn't always feel like work, but you still need to have a life outside of that. You do. Yeah. I mean, th- I think that's why entrepreneurship is, is it's ultimately the best growth factor that anyone can possibly have, in my opinion, for, for your own personal development as a human. Like outside of the, the results that you get or the progress of your business, like who you have to become along that journey is there's nothing that, in my opinion, that even comes close to it. But the reality is, like, if you're stuck in that monkey mind, that anxiety, that, like, you don't have a life outside of your work, you'll be stuck at a plateau indefinitely. And so you realize, like, holy crap, to get to where I want to go, I've actually got to become a content person. I've got to become a good person. I've got to become a happy person. These things are actually required. Yeah. I think there's, like, this weird belief that, and, you know, when you're first starting out, look at you got to make sacrifices. Like, 
I spent nearly two years doing nothing but working every single weekend. I would work from you know 6 a.m. in the morning. I would go and work out in the afternoon, come back home, work till nine every single. I had no life, but that's not sustainable. And that was yeah. required at that time, right? It's like I needed escape velocity. I needed to get momentum. I needed to get the ball rolling. But once the ball is rolling, it's like now I need to go develop different skill sets. Now I'm playing a game of longevity. Now it's about how long can I stay in the game. And if I'm in that state of just pushing myself too hard and I'm not developed outside of it and I'm not like a, a complete person, I'm going to run into issues. I'll stay at that point forever. And so it's really, really important that we're continuing to develop on a personal level because our personal state is a direct reflection of where our business is at and vice versa. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the... Number one lesson that I've learned in the last two years of business, if you don't work on your mind, you're going to slowly start to either feel burnt the fuck out or you're just going to slowly start to go downhill until you ultimately have to take a step back and work on your mindset. Like mindset's such a huge part of business and hustle culture is fucking real. Whether you are in, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you own your own business or you work for someone else, hustle culture is real, especially in the United States. And I think traveling to other countries really showed me that how much emphasis we put on like, how much work can you do? How many hours can you work per day? How long can you go without sleeping? How late can you stay up? Because your grind is worth it. And I so fell into that trap. Yeah, we'll talk about... I still, I do, for sure. Totally. Talk about, uh, you know, a form of validation, right? Like, uh, whether it's you validating yourself or others validating you for your work ethic and how hard you go. Like, you know, it's, it's definitely a real thing. I think the reality, though, is that, like, dude, most of those people preaching that stuff are at point B. Like, they just got started. Dude, you're doing 100K a year. Like, great, but you want to scale up and you want to do more than that. You got to play the game of longevity at that point, yeah. right? It's like once you get the ball rolling, it's a different skill set. That hustle culture will only yes. take you so far. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's honestly. I think it for the for the general population, they're sick, they're tired, they're lazy, they're unmotivated. Great, you need to hustle. You need to get. You need to get some momentum in your life. You need to see some results. But for the folks that are already seeing results, the hustle culture is that's you are reading the wrong prescription. That is the wrong advice. Mm. And so it's like, I think that a lot of people just think it's this one size fits all. Oh, you're an entrepreneur? Hustle. No, 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 no. You're just starting out as an entrepreneur? Hustle. Then figure out how you can be in the game for a decade or more. Yeah. And like that takes something totally different than hustle. Yeah. No, it definitely does. It takes a step back and looking at all aspects of your life and business and what you can Mm -hmm. actually sustain. And not just what you can sustain, but like what you can happily sustain. I think it's super easy for most entrepreneurs to sacrifice happiness for what needs to get done. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's just kind of a quality or a trait that you need to have mm-hmm. <laughs> to like get mm-hmm. started with entrepreneurship. But I think there comes to a point where your business is going to suffer if your happiness suffers. And that's uh, where you need to make changes. Yeah. No, yeah. There, I mean, uh, hands down. Like you look at a, a perfect example. You look at Warren Buffett, right? The guy's been investing since he was like eight years old, right? Not at a huge scale when he was a kid, but he was buying a few stocks, got his feet wet, was into the game. That's all he's really done ever since then. Most of Warren Buffett's wealth, he's nearly 90 years old at this point, I believe he's 89 or 90. Most of his wealth has come in the last 10 years. Because he's been in the game for so long that his results have compounded, 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 compounded. Like as you start to, the longer you're in the game and the more compounding is working in your favor, that's when the results really show up. So it's like, at a certain point, it's more about figuring out how can I do this for the rest of my life or how can I do this sustainably for the next 30, 40, 50 years, whatever it may be for you. Um, that's like that's the game that I'm most interested in, right? And to do something sustainably, joy has to be a part of the equation. Mm-hmm. You can't discount joy. I discounted joy for so long in my life that it, it, it caught up to me. And I realized like, okay, either I quit 
and I'm just done. Well, that doesn't serve my, my vision. And that, that's what a pointless thing to do, right? That's like all this was for not. Or I figure out how to play this game sustainably and, and bring joy into my life. Um, and you just read a book on play. So I did, yeah. What tell us a little bit about that and kind of what you want to start incorporating more to make yourself more successful. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a. Uh, I mean, God, it's, it's so cliche and cheesy when people <laughs> say like, "Be like a little kid." Like you just act like a kid, and it's there's truth to that. But it's such a cop out answer. But I think the like the the truth of the matter is, as we we get older. We get hard, we calcify, we, we lack joy or playfulness in our life, whether it's just your interaction with your spouse and how, how was your day, honey, and how rigid you are. There's no play, there's no banter, there's no push-pull back and forth. Whether it's how you feel about your work, it's just this gritting your teeth, just get it done, finish the deadline, on to the next kind of feeling. Uh, or it's what you do in your free time. What do you just booze on the weekends and try to escape your life? It's like, dude... That person, dude, sorry, <laughs> that person needs play in their life. They yeah. need that feeling of playfulness. Okay, well, great. How do I incorporate play? Uh, and that's something that I've been thinking a lot about. Uh, I think I err on the side of being more playful than the, than most, I guess. But I think I also started to see qualities in myself that I didn't like of just becoming very stiff and like just hard and crusty and just bleh. And that's <laughs> like, that, take, that will shorten your life, in my opinion, faster than anything else. We need to be playful and limber and like flow with life and be excited. And some of this sounds so woo-woo and so cheesy, but it's like go throw the ball around with your friend for an hour or your significant other and see how you feel after. It's palpable. You don't need drugs after that. You don't need to go hit the bar. You don't need to like escape your reality. You're giggling. You're laughing. You're outside. You got sun in your skin. Hopefully your feet are in the grass. You're, you know, you're joking, you're conversating, you're being with another human, you're connecting, and it's so simple. It's always available to us. It costs literally nothing. Go buy a football at, you know, 7-Eleven for 10 bucks and you're off to the races. <laughs> Yet we, we, ha- we are so resistant to the idea of doing something that quote unquote doesn't feel productive, right? Mm-hmm. It's not making us money. It's not moving the needle. But that's exactly what's needed because that playfulness, that joy will kind of carry over into what we do next, right? So if you go play and then go work, see how, just quantify it, measure it, try it, see how you feel and with the next thing that you do after playing. It's incredible. Like it, it is such a sustainable emotional high that you get from being playful and it's so easy to incorporate into our life. And I think it also pushes us to be social. Like when you're on that quest of grind, 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 do, 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 it's so easy to discount friendships and discount human connection. And this is such an easy way to to kind of merge those two basic core fundamental human needs to play and to connect. And it's it's just available to all of us. And I think the other thing that comes from it too, though, is like just this simple reframe of saying, do I want to, with like your your business or whatever you do for, for work, do I want to call that work or do I want to call that play, right? And so, yeah, it's a subtle shift in words, but it also gets us thinking like, if you run a business right now, there's going to be elements of that business that feel like play. You're in flow. They're enjoyable. It gives you energy. It doesn't suck energy from you. It gives you energy. And there's going to be things that are soul sucking that feel like work that just make you feel blah. And so you want to figure out what those things are and do more of the play. But then you can also just reframe what you do as play. And even that simple word shift is huge, right? Like today I get a play. <laughs> How different does that feel than just saying today I get a work? Yeah. Just a simple mm-hmm. shift in words you can feel how that sits in you. It, has, it just it resonates differently. And so play is both a thing that you do as an activity and it's also a, a lens that you view the world from. 
Yeah. No, I love that. I don't know if you used to follow or watch my stories, but I used to always start every day by posting like my little to-do list. And I'd say today I get to Mm -hmm. every single day and that I try to get all my clients to do it too. And I think just to tie it in for those of you who maybe feel like, okay, I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't have this time during the day. We don't really have time during the day either. (laughs) We make time, you know, and I think it's the same thing. Like I talk to my clients about this all the time, like whether it's waking up 20 minutes earlier so you can journal and write for 10 minutes about what you're grateful for, what you're excited for. It's all about shifting your mindset and allowing for allowing for play in your life like when we got to Hawaii someone was like I brought like 15 books and I was like I have literally not read more than one book a year in the past couple years because I couldn't justify it in my mind to take time away from productivity but now I've been I've already gone through three Colleen Hoover books and I'm like forgot how much I like reading fiction and I think you asked me the other day like what do you do that's creative and I literally couldn't think of one thing And I'm sure many of you can relate to that too, but like whether you're a busy mom or you work night shift as a nurse, because again, those are a lot of my clients, I would say you can find 30 minutes a day. You can to read or to journal or to listen to a podcast or to draw in an adult coloring book, like anything to kind of just have that kid freedom a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, to touch on the, the quote unquote excuse of time, I mean, that is the cheapest cop out in the book, in my opinion. You, you start this life with 30,000 days if you're lucky. And if you're going to spend the vast majority of that doing things that you don't enjoy and continually using time as your escape go, you need to get your priorities in check. Like the, that, the, the president can go and fit a, a workout into a schedule. I'm sure <laughs> you could fit some time to go throw the ball with your friend, even if it's once a week, twice a week. Yeah. could be a very low threshold to start. Um, but it, you know, time is often, it's like, if you're using time as an excuse, it's most likely just underlying guilt. In my opinion, you feel guilty yeah. before doing it. And so it's like, well, you know, there's probably somebody else I could be doing this quote unquote more productive. And so, but then you find yourself for... watching a whole Netflix show at 10 PM. And then... right. and well, I think that's like, that's why it's really important to audit your work behavior. I think a lot of people say, I don't have time, but if you went and actually audited how you spend time during the day while you're working, most people have maybe one, maybe one to three hours where they're extremely effective and the rest is just BS. It's, it's task switching in between things. It's scrolling on social media. It's walking the dog. Like it's like none of it is really this like cohesive flow and like really pushing and doing something meaningful and making progress in their business or, or their work or whatever it may be. And if that's where you're at, take a step back. Yeah. Like just stop. To go through the ball. You're not even being productive as is, right? And so I think it's important to audit how we're actually showing up and how, um, you know, I think that a better a better just measurement is it's not like how much are we doing or how many hours are we putting in, it's how effective are we. I think ultimately our goal should be to figure out how can I be the most effective with the least amount of time input. And sometimes to do that, you need to do things that are not related to work, like playing to make you more effective when you do work. Yeah. Yeah. That is something I've definitely realized with us being in Hawaii is that taking more time off in the like late afternoon makes me so much more focused for those like hours that we are working Mm -hmm. in the morning and afternoon. Mm -hmm. Like so much more laser, like laser focused zoned in because you're not like you're not spreading it out throughout the whole day. You're trying to like compact it even more. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's called Parkinson's 
what? <laughs> I think I could be wrong there. Maybe. But it's like humans will use the time allotted. If yeah. I give you seven days of, of saying, Sarah, you can get all your tasks done over seven days, you'll do it in seven days. If I say, Sarah, you got to get the same number of tasks done in 48 hours, you will get it done yeah. in 48 hours. And so I think being really clear with your scheduling, like this is my work time, this is my play time. They don't overlap. Yeah. Someone wants to call me on my play time, sorry, I'm busy. I'm playing. I'm playing. <laughs> you make time for it. Put it yeah. in your calendar. It's, it's as important as anything else that you're doing currently within your, your working world. Very true. Okay, we got through one question in 35 minutes, Perfect. so we'll go to the next question. Um, did you always know you wanted to leave your hometown, or did it kind of come to you as you got older or in college? Uh, yeah, I think I always knew. I, it's funny. I actually don't ever remember like debating it internally. I think I just always knew. That you would leave. Um, yeah. I didn't have any ill will towards, towards my hometown. I love where I was born and raised. It's just a very small town, kind of like a retirement town. Um, and so I knew I wanted to get out, yeah, for certain. Were you ever nervous to leave? No, I, I wasn't, honestly. I mean, I was. I think I remember driving down. So I went to school in San Luis Obispo after high school. And I remember driving from Monterey to, to San Luis Obispo, car stuff with things. I had just, uh, that, the, that day... I had done a, I had created a parking lot during the summer. I dug out this whole back part of my friend's yard and there was a concourse to elegance. It was like a big car show in my town. I was having cars parked there and I charged him a couple hundred bucks to park the car there. <laughs> of course. So you I are. had like a big <laughs> wad of cash in my pocket driving down to school and that was going to last me for a couple months. And I, then it hit me. Oh my God, I will never live with my parents again. <laughs> that was so weird to me because I was super close to my mom growing up. It's like just the thought of her being alone with my sister and us not all living together. It only hit me once it had already been set in motion and I was leaving, but not so much prior. Like, not that yeah. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I think kind of the same for me. I think it didn't hit me until I was like in a new place. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, holy shit. I never want to go back there. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little different for me. I was like, I just, I had wanted to get out of my hometown for my whole life yeah so once i left i was like yeah i'm gonna do whatever it fucking takes to never have to go back to that place yeah, yeah. which is kind of a good feeling too. well i think it's i mean it's, it's a common human emotion that like even if you like where you grew up there is a little bit of um, a subtle resentment like you want to be bigger and better than when yeah. you came from you want to go see the world you want to <laughs> go and like not everyone has that yeah, I guess not. I always assumed everyone has it, but maybe Yeah, not. it's interesting because I've had so many conversations, especially, like, with, like, potential clients. And I always ask, like, oh, where are you – where do you live now or where are you from? And ask people a little bit about their origin story. And that some people are just so excited and hyped on where they're from in their hometown that they don't ever want to leave. And I think it just – Certain personality types, too, want to experience more, I think. Yeah, I think it's certain personality types. I also think it's your, your upbringing, your relationship with your family. Like, yeah. if you come from a rock-solid, steady, steady family, and, like, you got a, maybe a big family, cousins, aunts, uncles, like, and you just are all connected, that's beautiful. I'm like, yeah. if I had that going on, I'd probably stay in my hometown, too. Shoot. <laughs> but if you come from, like, a more fragmented family, I mean, yeah. I could be wrong in my judgment here, but I think that, like... It's a little bit different. Yeah. There's less maybe feelings of security at home. Yeah. You don't feel like you're missing as much. Yeah. With all my yeah. cousins and family and grandparents, like they were all in the same town hanging out and doing things together. I would have a lot of FOMO. Around yeah. That. But it's not really the case. Yeah. 
Um, and then how, I guess this will kind of just tie in with everything because we've both talked so much about how entrepreneurship and fitness are super connected, mm-hmm. but how did you start your fitness journey? Yeah, funny question. Um, so I was 16. I had to go to the chiropractor. So I had wanted to start going to the gym when I was like 15. Um, I didn't have, obviously didn't have a car at that point. None of my family members had a gym membership. But the only person in my family, and I couldn't afford a gym membership, but my only person in my family that had a gym membership was my grandma. She was going to, not 24-hour fitness, I don't know, one of those big box gyms. And I would beg her, I'm like, Grandma, please put me on your account. And she had this funny belief that, like, kids shouldn't lift weights. They're going to, like, their growth is going to be stunted. It's not good for you. <laughs> and so, like, she brought me in on a guest pass a few times. But, like, it was just, like, pulling teeth. And I couldn't actually get her to add me to her account. So I had a little bit of exposure to it when I was 15, but not much. But that kind of, like... I wanted to lift weights. I definitely was inclined. I was like, oh, I like that. That felt fun. I definitely was super duper, 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 duper skinny as a kid. Uh, my junior year of high school, I was like 117 pounds. I mean, I was really, really skinny. Uh, like, you know, 5'10", 117, 5'11", something like that. Like, just a twig. Probably the skinniest kid in my grade, or one of them at least. Um, and so I wanted to change that. I don't really know why. It was probably for, for girls, to be honest. And so I had a little bit of exposure to it when I was 15. Then I was 16. I had to go to the chiropractor. The lady said, hey, you should start lifting weights. Like, you're pretty frail. And I think it'll help, <laughs> your, it'll help your posture. And my dad was with me at the time. I'm like, dad, she said, I should start lifting weights. She said, pull-ups mainly is what I should be doing. I'm like, I don't have a pull-up bar at the house. So they got me a gym membership. It was at a tennis club back in my hometown called Shamisol. And my brother was, like, doing tennis lessons there or something along those lines. And so... Uh, again, I didn't have a car, so it was, like, very weird how I would get there. Like, I would have to go, like, when my brother was at tennis lessons or, like, you know, it was not a clean, consistent schedule. But that was when the bug was really instilled in me. I will never forget going there and hitting legs. And I was using <laughs> the, uh, not the leg curl machines, like the one where you're sitting on it and you're curling back. Oh, yeah. It's the reverse seated, leg curl. Yeah, seated hamstring curl. Seated hamstring curl. And I remember leaving the gym and my legs were trembling. I was soaked in sweat and I was high as a kite. And I said, I want to do this forever. And I <laughs> loved it. I was hooked. I was sore for probably four days after, like soreness I've never experienced ever since. It rocked me. And I was going through a really emotional time in that chapter in my life. It was just a separation in my family with me leaving my dad's house and, you know, potentially TMI. But like I would go to the gym and lift weights until I cried. I, it was very weird. It was very cathartic for me. It's only I couldn't. I didn't know how to process my feelings. I had no my like emotional processing mechanisms were pretty stunted. I would say like not. I don't know. I mean, I was like aware of my emotions, but I, didn't, I just did not know how to deal with them. I had no modalities of how to deal with them. I just didn't have much awareness in that department. And the only outlet that I had discovered was lifting weights. And so I just remember going to Shamisol and just punishing myself. I would just punish myself for hours. It was like. It was like going to like the confessional with like the priest at your church. I mean, I would just let it all out. And I did that for a year. And it like, as cheesy, man. This is so cheesy to even say. I've never really even spoken this to anyone, but it, it was so healing. And after about a year, I kind of tapered it back a little bit. I relaxed uh, in terms of going there and treating it like therapy. But I was so hooked and I, I, like, I couldn't get enough of it. About a year in, I started to see some progress. We went from about 117 to like 145. And that was like the first time in my life that I'd ever seen concrete results that I am a creator, that I can change, I can impact change in my life. I had 
been pretty crappy at school. I knew I was smart, but I just, I could not apply myself in school. It seemed like such a stupid means to an end. I couldn't justify it. (laughs) None of it was engaging to me. I had had a few business endeavors prior to that, but nothing with like a lot of traction. Um, And it was about at the same time that I got into fitness that my first business started to take off. And so it was just like this weird coinciding moment of like, oh my God, I'm not playing just the cards I was dealt. Like I can, I can trade up and I can get new cards and I can design how I'm playing this game. Um, and so at that point, I mean, I was just, I was hooked. It was all I wanted to do. I would come home, bang out pushups for an hour, then go to the gym, go work out. I'd stay there till nine o'clock at night, come home. I knew nothing about nutrition. So I would just eat the biggest bowl of pasta I could possibly find. I'd put cheese on it, olive oil. I mean, I was just trying to get as many calories in my system. I'd go to bed feeling sick to my stomach. I made myself throw up many, many times from overeating. But I just wanted it so bad. And so by the time I was a senior in high school, I was about 170 pounds. Oh, my God. Yeah, I went from 117 to 170. blew up. Blew up. No one at my school recognized me. That summer, going from junior to senior, everyone was like, you must be on steroids. You must be doing something. (laughs) I remember I bought creatine online. My mom thought creatine was steroids. She was accusing me of steroids. My grandma was accusing me of steroids. (laughs) I'm like, guys, I'm just addicted. You're like, I just went through puberty at 17. I I was a late bloomer, too. That, that also probably played a role as well. Gym is life, brah. It is, yeah. It really is. And how do you think, like, your high school glow up or just your fitness journey mm-hmm. impacted, like, your self-confidence and self-worth in other areas? Like, do you feel like that was a really big... Yeah. Like, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, like, you get, like, the, the superficial validation, which is nice. And, like, you know, it definitely helped with, like, my dating life and stuff like that. And that, that was all gravy. But for me, the, the, again, the biggest thing was, like, I had never seen proof that I was capable. I wanted to see proof and I had never seen it. Like I just was crappy at school. My like dad was so hard on me and I just didn't, I just was like, am I just a, a sh- like a fucking ding dong? <laughs> you know, I don't know if I can cuss on this podcast. Yeah, you can. We, and so I just, swearing. yeah, I just, I just didn't know. And I needed a way to test my hypothesis. Is Sumner amazing or is Sumner a shithead? And so fitness was my kind of objective yes, no answer. And so, I mean, my confidence went through the roof, but it wasn't for like the superficial validation that I was getting. I'm sure that helped, but it was the first time that I'd ever witnessed that I can change something in my life for the better. Yeah. No, I like that. I think fitness kind of has that effect on most people who get very invested. Again, some people will do those like yo-yo cycling of like really getting into certain types of fitness and falling off. But the people who I've known who just go all in most people have that turning point where they're like am I just a piece of shit like can I not do anything in my life and then fitness is kind of where a lot of those type of people I think tend to direct their energy um like same for me when I was in college I think I told you this I had my at the end of my sophomore year of college I had like a complete breakdown bawling my eyes out I was like I am not smart enough. Like this should be easier for me. And just like, Oh, I thought I was like the stupidest person ever. Cause I was, I failed a class and yeah. then I, my whole world was crumbling down and fitness was the one thing that'll always be there. Yeah. I tell my clients this too, because I think people get so caught up in like, Oh, I didn't hit a PR today. Or like, I didn't see the scale go down today. And I'm like, the cool thing about fitness is there's always a new goal. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there's always something new you can create because you're literally creating it out of yeah. thin air. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I, I always joke with my friends. I'm like, I owe my life to fitness. Like my friends, 
learning who I was uh, a way to feel good. Like I, it was also, it was a way to regulate my mood. I had never experienced any modality and there's many others outside of just fitness that can raise your vibration, that can make you feel good, that can give you a different outlook on the world. And so it was a way to like regulate my mood. And it was, it was my canvas. I could go paint my picture. Like I could go and it was just an expression to me. I didn't follow a workout program. I knew nothing about fitness. So I would go there and just, I would just listen to my body and I'd be in tune. And it was one of the few times too that like I, I wasn't distracted. I was so locked in. I'd never felt focused like that before. And so I joke with people. I'm like, everything that I do outside of fitness is a direct result of fitness. Yeah. So there's no, there, to me, there's no separation between the two. And I mean, I would like put it on my tombstone. Like fitness <laughs> changed my life forever. And it's so cheesy, but it's so true. Yeah. And I, there's not a day that goes by that I, I don't count my blessings for, for having an able body for having access to a gym for being exposed to it because it, it changed my life yeah. more than anything else. Yeah, no, me too. And I think, I mean, fitness creates self-discipline more than anything. Yeah. And I think that when people, the best compliment I think you can give is on consistency and discipline in for life, sure. because those are two of the hardest things to, I think, obtain as you get older. Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard to become more and more self-disciplined because most people just rely on all of these unhealthy coping mechanisms where self-discipline goes out the window. Yeah. And I think fitness really teaches you self-discipline. And that's the one thing you can implement, like whether you are wanting to change your life now at 30 years old or 40 mm-hmm. years old or whatever it is, that's always something you have control over but here's my counterpoint to that in a sense i i agree with you wholeheartedly but i think that you and i in our examples we were playing with the chip stacked in our favor because we liked the fitness yeah right and so i would like anytime someone's like you know i want to change my body or i want to look different or i want to like you know just improve how i feel or you know, x y and z we're like where the answer typically would be okay start going to the gym but most people are like, yeah, I don't like the gym. I just don't, don't enjoy it. Okay, well then go find the, the physical medium that you do like. Because if, if you can connect joy and good feelings with what you're doing, it's not, I mean, sure, from the outside looking in, it looks like discipline, but that's, that's play. That's yeah, fun, it is right? Play. No one ever has to say, Summer, you should go to the gym today. <laughs> that's never a question. In fact, no matter where I'm at, I will find a gym. I will pay whatever amount of money I need for a guest. <laughs> I will do gym. anything to get <laughs> into a gym, right? Yeah. And it's like when you for have sure. that mindset, I'm not just willing my way forward and disciplining my way forward. I'm doing it because I love it. And if you're playing that game in anything you're doing in life, whether it's your career, whether it's like the person that you're with, your spouse, your partner, your friends, your physical endeavors, your hobbies, it's like you are playing with an unfair advantage. It was Warren Buffett would say like, that's a moat around it. Like you can't compete with that. Mm-hmm. That is your, that is your, your, your strength. And so I think it's figuring out, yeah, discipline is important. It's going to come up. There's going to be times when you don't want to do something and you will need to lean on discipline, but discipline is not a long distance fuel that you use to drive across the country. Discipline yeah. is something that you use for overdrives, like nitrous in your car, but you need some clean burning fuel, which is joy. And that's going to be, that's <laughs> going to get you the distance. I like your analogy. I, got many I think I'm just wholeheartedly convinced I can make anyone love the gym. I'm just so convinced that yeah. I can make any person fall in love I mean, with th- the gym. I think so. I, I mean, I think most people you can, I think it's a lot of the time just intimidation. Totally. It's about having the right guidance. So they know what they're doing in the gym. It's about having a plan. So they're not like, ah, oh, God, I feel so confused and lost here. It's about being 
in a gym that you feel safe in, mm-hmm. like you like the people in. Ideally, it's about doing it socially, like having a social network, a group that you go with is going to really help. Um, you know, I think for most people, yeah, it's probably just a few bad experiences that have jaded them. But I know for certain there's some people that just don't like it, right? Yeah. Like my mom, I think every human by design, by like, it's like within our biology, we love to move. Movement yeah. is medicine to all people. It does not matter who you are, where you're from, how you grew up, what your culture is, what your background is. It does not matter. Movement is medicine. But it's about finding out like wh- which kind you like, right? And like for my mom, I've, I've tried to get her to go to the gym for the last seven years. It hasn't worked. Her, her medium is dancing. Yeah. It, you're, you're getting to the same end result, right? Just pick the one that you mm-hmm. like. Yeah. You, no one has to tell her to go dance. But going to the gym is like pulling teeth. Yeah. So it's about finding, finding what you like and what you can sustain very true yeah my mom's the same way yeah <laughs> we go dance salsa and tango together yeah. um and how do you feel like kind of fitness helped you with your confidence as like an entrepreneur do you feel like that did make a difference For in sure. like you wanting to be an entrepreneur yeah i mean i always knew i was going to be an entrepreneur i never knew that like that's what it was called but everyone in my family you know most of them weren't like by my standards of like material success wasn't like they were like super successful but everyone had their own little song and dance that they were doing no one worked a corporate job no one was employed like everyone had their own business most of it was like you know under the table cash stuff like not a real <laughs> business or with employees necessarily but they all did their own thing and I just knew I was going to do the same like yeah the, the idea of not having autonomy over how I spent my time, like there, there was just never, there was never even in question. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, like I just knew that that was the life that I yearned for. Yeah. Um, I think I also had a chip on my shoulder. I wanted to prove my family wrong, I guess, in a sense that like I, I could be something. Um, and so I just like, yeah, I just from a very early age, I knew I was gonna be an entrepreneur. I, I, I it was in my DNA. I mean, I was selling candy at the schoolyard when I was a kid. I would have every single weekend. I went through this phase where I have garage sales. I didn't even have enough <laughs> things to sell at the garage sale, so I'd go to Goodwill to buy things to sell at my garage sale. <laughs> I just was. I needed to sell things. Yeah. I loved it. It was my way of connecting with the world. It was my. It was my art. Is. I liked the idea of like, let me find a problem, let me solve it, let me build a business around it, let me connect with other humans and transact value and like, they'll pay me, but that's, I'm giving them something of value and there's this cool like reciprocity going on. It was just built into me, I, I couldn't avoid it. But I think that I, I probably would have never had the same level of self-belief or confidence to do what I've done now without fitness. Yeah. And so for, I think like making quote unquote big leaps or taking risks or anything along those lines, like how most people would identify it, like that never felt risky for me. A, I think I was always, what I would assume is very, very calculated. I'm sure I've made many mistakes and will make many more mistakes, but like, I think I've always been very calculated in the decisions that I make. Um, but ultimately I think I've just had a, an extraordinarily high level of self-belief, but that was not always that way. That was engineered. Yeah. I built that. And I think a lot of that stemmed from fitness. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You were definitely born to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. There's one thing that anyone could say about you. It's that. <laughs> yeah. So what areas in your life do you think you're more likely to play safe than others? Or like, do you feel like you do play it safe in some, some Yeah. Aspects? Yeah, for sure. I definitely do. Um, I think that if you're like, if you're taking a lot of risks in one area of your life, I think it's natural. If you looked at like most humans as like a, if you zoomed out and look at their life, kind of from a bird's eye view, 
I would assume that in other areas they're ultra conservative. It's like the yin and the yang, right? Like they need some balance. It's just unlikely that you're just a wild risk taker in every part of your life and you're a successful entrepreneur. Yeah. Like there is already just inherently enough risk in building a business that usually outside of that, you're probably a little more conservative. Mm -hmm. You probably have a better relationship with risk. And so you might do things that look more risky to other people, but it's very calculated. But I don't think you're just erratically making, you know, very risky decisions in your life. So I think that outside of business, I'm extremely conservative. Like financially, I'm very conservative. I'm a believer in saving. I'm a believer in having security. And I never, I would never put myself in a position to put that in question. Um, I think same thing in my relationships. Like I'm slow moving. I, I'm not one to be erratic in that area. If I'm dating someone or even with my friendships, like I'm loyal, I'm slow moving. I'm, I'm just like an old dog. So I'll just be with you for life, I know. Uh, so I'm not super erratic there or yeah. a big risk taker. Um, so yeah, I think in those departments, like relationships, financially, I'm, I'm super duper conservative. Yeah. And I think I need that balance. Like I need some steadiness in my life outside of business to make making big decisions in my business feel okay. Yeah. Like knowing I've got that that anchor, that North Star, that security blanket allows me to make... Well, you yourself are kind of creating a security blanket with that. Like, yeah. you're that security blanket. Like, being safe and conservative, like, yeah. financially and emotionally. Big. You're okay. like, okay, I have this thing outside myself, my business, that I can yeah. take more risks with, but I know I'm secure. Exactly. And so, like, I think... And even just on an emotional level with how I live my life and what I do with my time, like, I... I'm very conscientious to, to do things that make me feel good and to like... And not do things that you don't want to do. And nothing, yes, as you've learned. <laughs> is very stubborn. Very stubborn in that way. Um, but I think that, that just, it, it fills me up in the ways that I need to be filled up to do the things that I need to do. And it's always a logical explanation. Anytime. Well, I won't ever. There yeah. is always an explanation. I will. Then that's just, that's the same thing too. It's like if someone wants to persuade me, if they give me a, a good. Better. Break, yeah, if they, exactly. If they give me a good breakdown of why that's the better decision, I will always listen. Yeah. I'll never just turn away decisions at face value. But if you give me a decision and it's not thought out, you've got no chance. And that's usually how I do it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I have an automatic response, but it doesn't usually mean it's a logical one. Yeah. Well, the last, I'll kind of add the last two questions together. What advice would you give to someone who wants to take a risk and take more of an un unconventional path in their life, whether they're young, mm -hmm. in their early 20s, or a little older? Get real with yourself. You need a, I mean, I think building a, a real relationship with the fact that you're going to die sooner than you think. And that sounds morose. That sounds bizarre. But it's like, again, to go back to the 30,000 days, you've got 30,000 days, best case scenario in a lot of situations. If you're not doing what you want to do, you're wasting, you're wasting your life. It is just, just you being here, being alive is so improbable. It's so statistically unlikely. And if you're pissing away that opportunity, it's like you need to get real with yourself and understand that you're going to die. It's going to happen sooner than you realize. Your life is going to flash before your eyes. And if you're not spending the time doing things that you love to do and you're not, quote, unquote, taking risks, a lot of times taking risks feels like risks to people. It's not as risky as you think. It's never as risky as you think. I mean, if you live in any, like, Western country, whether it's, you know, parts of Europe or it's here in America or Canada, it's like you're not going to go hungry. Odds are you could find a job probably in a week if, you, if your business failed or if your big decision didn't work out. Like the real risk is so unlikely, as cheesy it is, as it is. It's like 
The real risk is not doing what you want to do. The real risk is staying on the sidelines for the rest of your life and watching people in the arena going and making decisions and doing what they want to do and cheering them on and saying, oh, I wish I could be doing that. And you're sitting up in the bleachers. That's the risk. The risk is not making the decision. It's like you've got a very finite number of days on this earth. That's real. We don't know what happens next. So you might as well use the time that you have here and now. If you're not, that's risky in my opinion. Yeah, staying where you are, staying the same for another year, another two years, another three years. That's that's, that's risk. risky. Yeah. That's scary. All right. Well, what last piece of advice would you give to your younger self looking back now, like pre-fitness summer? What advice would you give to yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think that like just just you as you are, just as a human being, you're good enough, right? Like you're that's it. You're good. Anything that you do outside of that, gravy, awesome. But you as you are, just as you came, is good enough, right? And I think that, like, I played this game of wanting to prove to myself for so long that I was good, right? It wasn't that I wanted other people to tell you that I was good. I wanted Sumner to know that I was good. And sure, that gets you, like, tangible physical results. But I played a long, 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 long game of not loving myself and not giving myself the love that I deserved and being ultra critical of myself. And it has nothing to do with, like, you know, real strategy that you can go and implement and this is gonna, you know, do this in your business today. Like this isn't like some tactical thing, but it's about understanding that you are, as you are, good enough. And anything that you do outside of that, fantastic, right? Um, but I think like if we can operate from a place of self-love to start with, mm-hmm. we are gonna do so much good in the world from that, from, from that starting point opposed to, it's like, are you running towards something or are you running away from something, right? And so I think if we can be starting with a, a place of self-love, we're running towards something. If we are not clear on who we are, we don't feel good enough, we're running away. So I want to be more focused on running towards, less running away. And it looks like that's the time. That is the time. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. Sumner is going to plug himself on Instagram, YouTube, and all, all the places that you can find him. Yeah, guys. I appreciate you listening to me ramble. If anyone made it this far, that's amazing. Um, you can find me online. I'm somewhat active on social media, Sumner Healy on Instagram. If you go on YouTube, you can go find me at Land Investor Co. or just type in Sumner Healy. You'll find all of our land investing trading videos. Uh, you can see all the properties that we're selling across the country over at thelandpioneer.com. If you guys want to learn how to grow and scale your own land investing business, go over to landinvestor.co. That's our education uh, portal for helping folks build land investing businesses. It's a super, super interesting niche. And I'm super excited to be sharing it with the world. We've been coaching for about a year now. We just went public with it in August of this year, though. So it was kind of behind the scenes as we've been building the course over the last year. Uh, We've had dozens of students go through the program, dozens of folks quit their job, go full time in their business and hit extraordinary numbers. Um, So we'd be super excited if you were uh, to want to check that out. You can find me there. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening, guys. I guess that's all I got for you. Yes, I will also put all of the links in the description here so you can check it out. And thank you so much for coming on. Peace.